0: hope that you have a copy of God's word with you today if uh, you do turn to acts chapter 8 and our examination today will be from verses 26 through verse 40 with a sermon that i have entitled becoming a helpful guide becoming a helpful guide and how you and i as Pastor Jason prayed just a little while ago that we are all called to missions in some way, shape, or form, and it might look different for everybody, but we are called to the same mission together, and that is to make much of Jesus. And how are we to become a helpful and faithful guide in the gospel? Even in all of our many deficits as human beings who struggle with the fallen nature and the struggle between the spirit and the flesh, how are we to become disciples who will also become a helpful guide and witness for others in this world? We pick back up in this journey in the book of Acts, and so far it's been a wonderful reminder of the providential hand of the Lord to protect and to guide His people. If you have ever seen the providential providing and protecting hand of the Lord, let me hear you say amen. amen. Today I want to spend some time speaking to you about how the Lord prepares us for the task at hand. And each and every one of us has a task, a ministry, Responsibility. Today's sermon, as I mentioned, is entitled Becoming a Helpful Guide. And over the years, I believe that a follower of Jesus Christ must be able to look back into their life and to reflect on their life and to see the Lord's hand where He has brought you from and where He has brought you to. We ought to be able to look back and see guideposts along the way and landmarks of how God has been faithful and God has, even the small things in life, and look back and say, the Lord was in that. And God brought me from that place and used that to protect me, bringing me to a place where I am now, giving glory to Jesus Christ. And not only do we see landmarks and posts along the way, but we see how God has been faithful and how God has equipped us for whatever task is ahead of us. In the words of the late Charles Stanley, Charles Stanley said, if God calls you to something, He will equip you for it. If He calls you to something, He will equip you for it as well. This is, this is a truth that is demonstrated over and again through Scripture. Moses spent 40 years in preparation, preparing to go to uh, Egypt and to intercede for His people. Forty years in preparation. The children of Israel spent forty years in the wilderness because of their sin and disobedience, but also that God might prepare them for something. A task at hand. Jesus spent forty days in the wilderness as He fasted, Marking the beginning of his ministry when he stepped out of those 40 days being tempted, preparing him for the ministry that was ahead and for, his, for his, sacrificial, uh, his sacrificial laying down of his life for the sins of the world. So what God has called us to, he will prepare us for and bring us through those things as well. So I'll ask you... In reading of God's Word, beginning at verse 26, it is customary for us to stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord. So I'll ask you if you'll stand with me in recognition of the Holy Script of God's Word. Beginning at verse 26, the Bible tells us that an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of, he was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and and to sit with him. The passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture he told them the good news of jesus and as they were going along the road there came some water and the eunuch said see here is water what prevents me from being baptized And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water philip and the eunuch and he baptized him and when they had to come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Astos, and he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he, came, until he came, to, came to Caesarea. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of this word. Speak to us, Lord. Let us hear what you have to say through your word. Lead us, guide us by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in the previous verses, we caught a glimpse of Philip and his interaction with this deceiver by the name of Simon the magician. Some historians have labeled him Simon Magnus. Simon the magician. Simon was fooling the people in Samaria into thinking that he had the power of God or a deity and that he could heal people and of course we know this was by some type of sleight of hand or deception And Simon was swindling the people and asking for money in doing so of these transactions. and we infer this because of his offer to the Apostle Peter to receive the Holy Spirit and this gift and he offered him money and Peter said you Uh, Your heart is not in the right place and your motive is not in the right place. You will suffer with your money and your riches. But there was also several applicable points from last week's sermon. A couple of things I wanted to highlight before we continue on is some of the application was what does it take to be an authentic follower of Jesus? What does authentic faith in Christ look like? And we highlighted a few things. We highlighted the fact that the power of God cannot be bought. Your salvation cannot be bought. You cannot give enough for the Lord to forgive you as a, of a sinner. It is the blood that has bought us from our sin and the cr- sacrifice of Christ and not our own offering of money or any penance that we try to give to God on our And then how sometimes we are also like Simon in that we offer a false hope to people by our negligence to speak up for the cause of Christ. So we have friends and we have lost people in our our contact and we go about never mentioning Christ to them, therefore offering false hope in their sin, thinking that we are okay. Simon is rebuked and he's challenged to repent By the apostle peter and now philip will receive these further instructions from the messenger and will be assigned his next his next destination a couple things i want to bring out today in this text as we begin in verse 26 and i've mentioned it earlier is that god will prepare you for the work god will prepare you for whatever the work it is that you have ahead of you some say that god does not use skills or talents but i beg to differ god will use your skill god will use your talents for the glory of the kingdom if we will be obedient to him it never ceases to amaze me how god calls people to ministry or the task and then supplies them with the tools to carry on in that and i'm thankful that i did not have to go into ministry alone and i'm sure that there are other folks who thank the lord that god doesn't leave us alone when he calls us to something not only does god supply the needs but i am so grateful that god sends people by our side to help us in that journey that's why it's so important when we read hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 and 25 that it tells us not to neglect the assembling together because we need one another we need one another to walk in this life together with. So God sends people in this journey with us. We are not lone ranger Christians. God has called us together to be on mission for Him. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, go south, head to Gaza. You're going to go down this road to Jerusalem. And then he said, this is a desert place. It could mean a couple different things there. A physical desert, dry place. But it also could imply a spiritual dryness as well. So there's a double application here. It could be a physical place of dryness, yes, but a spiritual dryness as well. And so you might be reading this, and your first question might be, the first question might be raised, okay, well, who is this angel of the Lord? Who is this angel of, of the Lord? He is, well, the angel of the Lord. <laughs> we are not told because it is not pertinent to the story other than this angel was a direct messenger from God, sent by God to Philip to, to move him along his way. And the place that he was sent was down south towards Gaza on the road from Jerusalem down down south of Gaza. Now here's a map of ancient the ancient res, uh, region that uh, we would call Gaza. Some might call it the Gaza Strip today. And you might be able to see that. You may not be able to see that. But down over to the west would be Gaza. And so this is where the Lord was sending. This is where the Lord was sending Philip. Now Philip is not going to Ethiopia, but as I, we we have already read in the text, he's going to meet an Ethiopian who was. Uh, who was at Jerusalem. He was worshiping at Jerusalem and more than likely is probably heading back to his homeland. And by the way, this is not modern-day Ethiopia. It is referred in the Old Testament Hebrew as Cush, uh, C-U-S-H, and he was heading back down, more than likely back to his hometown. Population that is described both by historians and both by the Word of God as people who had smooth and dark skin certainly not a hebrew by any means certainly didn't look like philip or anyone else who might be a worshiper there at jerusalem but god is not concerned with the pigmentation of the skin he is worried about the soul of man he is not worried about the skin tone but but the spirit and whether or not that person knows the lord or not and so he sends philip to meet this man down towards Gaza. The Bible tells us in verse 27 that he rose and he went. There was an Ethiopian called a eunuch down um, towards the court of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He had charge of all the treasure, and he came to Jerusalem to, to worship. In case we have forgotten, the Lord is sending His people to Jerusalem, he is sending his people to samaria he is sending his people to judea and then towards the end of the earth and we've already disclosed that acts chapter 1 in verse 8 is the outline of the book of acts they are to go to jerusalem samaria judea to the end of the earth and his ad- interaction with this ethiopian is a foreshadowing of the end of the earth It is a foreshadowing. This is the ultimate goal, is to reach the end of the earth. Now, the name of this Ethiopian is not shared with the worshiper and the reader, other than he was a eunuch from Ethiopia. And whether or not this man went through the process of castration uh, to gain the title of eunuch, it is not pertinent to the narrative. And here's why. Because the term eunuch is interchanged with somebody who is trustworthy. It is interchange in this point that he is a treasurer, some type of dignitary, and sometime a eunuch is also described as a person who is a prince or a dignitary. Now to say that this eunuch in this case was a treasurer was to say that he was trustworthy and that he was loyal to the queen of Ethiopia, and oversaw oversaw the treasurer, and so he was an important figure there. Nevertheless, Luke records that this man came to Jerusalem to worship. No doubt, while he was in Jerusalem, somehow, there was the reading of the scroll, which is prominent in worship. Anytime a person stands to proclaim, God Almighty... Anytime a person stands to proclaim, thus saith the Lord, there needs to be the reading of the word of the Lord. Amen? So in this case, there was a prominent reading of the scroll, and somehow this Ethiopian obtained a portion of a copy of Isaiah. He was a Gentile God-fearer. He was not a Hebrew. He was Ethiopian, which means that he was a God-fearer or a proselyte he believed in the god of abraham isaac and jacob and he began to read from isaiah the suffering servant discourse in which he could not understand this is a real physical person he was bruised for our transgressions by his stripes we are healed like a Sheep before his shearer, he opened not his mouth. This is an individual to to come. The Ethiopian could not understand as he was reading this. The Bible tells us that this Ethiopian was in his chariot reading Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip had witnessed enough of the power of of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in Samaria and abroad to know... That his first response as the Lord moved him and prompted him to go is, What do you mean go over there? You sure about that, Lord? He's got the darkest of skin. There's a black man. How am I to witness to him? He didn't say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, Lord. I'm just, I'm just going to stand over here. What am I supposed to do? No, the Bible will tell us that Philip will go immediately. The Greek text implies that this Ethiopian man was reading from Isaiah, reading aloud, which is, which is a common practice. And the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, drew Philip to this man who was truly seeking, seeking the Lord. In the words of theologian Adam Clark, Adam Clark said, God sees in this man his simplicity, he sees his earnestness, And he provides him with an instructor or a guide. He says, who should learn or should lead him into the truth, the great truths of the gospel, with which out such a one, a guide, a leader, instructor, he could not have understood. Now, I will say this amongst all of us in this room today. We are all in continuous need of a guide whether it be through discipleship disciple making bible study small group whatever it might be we are all in constant need from the pastor to the pew from the pew to the out the door we are all in constant need of a guide there is always somebody who has a step or two in front of you in their walk with the lord see god sent philip to this man's to be this man's guides toward the truth of the good news. He had seen God do mighty works. He had seen the the Lord answer prayer. He knew Jesus' is the answer that this man is, is seeking. The Lord had prepared Philip for a time such as this, and each and every one of us have a task, a mission before us. Some are called to servanthood, some of us are called to serve as a deacon some of us are called to hospitality some of us are called to teach some of us are called to preach some of us are called to work in the nursery some of us are called to serve meals some of us are called to serve a glass of water to those who are thirsty but whatever it is the lord has called us to make much of jesus wherever he has called us to to a world that is lost and undone and what god has called you to and towards, He will prepare you for that work. Wherever you're serving, God will call you and prepare you for that work. The only thing that stands in the way is our fear and our utter disobedience. And in this section of Scripture, God demonstrates that He sets up those uh, divine appointments. Our problem is we don't have eyes to see often. We're not constantly looking where where God is working. As Henry Blackaby once said, we see where God is working and we join Him in that work. Sometimes we fail to see where God is, is working as He sets up those divine appointments and He prepares us for that work. But then God also calls us to be a guide, as we've already seen. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's the nuts and bolts of this transaction. God calls us to be a guide And we are a guide to someone. The Bible tells us that Philip ran to him. He didn't question God. He didn't didn't hesitate. He went and he he asked a man who was reading Isaiah, Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand this? And he said, Well, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him in his chariot. I want you to notice that the Bible says that Philip ran to him. He ran to him as he heard the Ethiopian reading from Isaiah. It's not unusual for Greek to be read aloud, which was common practice, not uncommon for even even an Ethiopian here to to read from the Greek languages. The common language of the day was the language of commerce. It's something we call the Koen Greek. It was the common language of the day, uh, the language of trade, the commerce language. The the version that the Ethiopian was reading was from the translation of the old Hebrew text called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint is that Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. This particular reading was from Isaiah. And in obedience to the Spirit of of God, Philip asked this man, Do you understand what you are reading? Simple question. But what is so telling about this question is the way that Philip asked, asked this question. There are two participles that are used in the Greek language in this particular question as Philip asked this man, two participles that are used that indicates that Philip had doubts whether the man understood what he was reading. In fact, it would probably have uh, shocked Philip if he said, yeah, I understand, it's clear It's day. He probably would have been shocked if the man responded that way, but Philip's suspicions come, they, they, they are warranted, and the man did not understand. You to understand also that the clarion, if there ever was a clarion call from our society today, from a lost and dying world, it would be this How can I understand unless I have someone to help me see? And we often chalk up our culture and society as being narcissistic, self serving, selfish, and some of those things are an accurate eva- evaluation of our culture and society, but the Lord is still at work. God is still at work in, in a culture that seems to have abandoned Him to some degree in a narcissistic and, and self-serving and selfish. God is still at work. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10 and 14, which is very helpful here, very familiar passage of Scripture that says this logical transist, trans, transaction, The Apostle Paul wrote, how then will they call on Him, Jesus, in whom they have not believed? And then how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And then how are they to hear without someone preaching, proclaiming? There must be a proclamation of of Jesus. And we must be willing to be that guide for someone because you never know you never know who is listening you never know who is watching and you never know who the lord is working in their heart you never know if god is working in a person's heart so it is noteworthy that we must be ready as i'm reading and as i'm studying this narrative i cannot help but think that sometimes the lord uses us when we least expect it i could give testimony to that when i least expect us sometime. God, God shows up and God is at work and sometimes I am in shock and awe of how God is working even in spite of my own negligence and my failure to see. And so I've learned over the years it's in my best interest and it's our best interest to be ready at all times. He used Philip this way, and God gets the glory. God always God will get the glory. Some time ago I read a, a narrative or an article of a pastor. He used to practice his sermons during the week. Most of the time he would take the Saturday out. And this time, this particular time, by God's providence and God's sovereignty, the man spent some time during the week going over his, his sermon, getting ready for the, what we call the preaching event. That moment of truth where you stand and you proclaim. I admit, as a pastor, I do uh, the same discipline. It helps me prepare I preached to an empty room. This pastor, he took his notes. He, he went into the sanctuary to practice and to go over and to fine tune his sermon. He brought his pencil with him. He brought his notes with him so he could see all of his typos along the way. He brought his timer with him so he knew whether or not he was going to be long winded or not and marked it down where he needed to mark down, trimmed off some of the fat where it needed to be trimmed. He began preaching to this empty to this empty room and he paused along the way to make important notes in his manuscript scribbling out this marking that here xing this out there he was preaching from the text you guessed it from Isaiah chapter 53 verses 5 through 7 the same text that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from He masterfully began to to craft how Jesus is the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Began to craft how Jesus went to Calvary and how His trip to Calvary and His sacrifice perfectly matched with the suffering servant found in Isaiah. In fact, it would probably read like a, a headline in Isaiah and also in the Gospel accounts. All to an audience of one, the Lord Himself. Or so he thought. Unbeknownst to the pastor, there was a man who had come in the side door who was wanting to meet with him about a community event that he wanted the church to partner with because he, he, had, he knows that the church and the community are a good thing. The church is good for the community. And he was coming, he was coming to ask this, this pastor for his, for his help and for the church's help. The man had come in the side door and, and he stopped. And he stood there. He didn't want to come in and barge in on the pastor who was going over his sermon. So he stood there, and he was waiting, and he was listening in. He was just standing there, almost hanging on every word. The pastor finished going over his sermon, said his prayer closed his Bible, turned off his timer, he was about to leave the sanctuary. This man met him at the door as he was leaving, tears streaming down his face. He looked at the pastor and he says, I have been standing there this whole time listening. Now I know what I I must do to be saved. Pastor, will you pray for me? The man was gloriously saved and the pastor's reliance on the spirit of God grew stronger that day. God calls us to be a guide. Sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's up front and then other times we do not know how or when the Lord is at work in a person's life. So it is best to be ready in season and out of season. Lastly, God calls us through his word as he does here, this Ethiopian eunuch. The Bible tells us In these passages that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah chapter 53, the verses are verse 7 and 8. Now we know that there is not a division in the Septuagint that would read Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. That is a later edition. But he's reading from the portion of the scroll that what we would translate today, and we would call Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. And that passage reads such as this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears, he is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life was taken away from him? Now, to answer that last portion of that question before we move on forward, who can describe Jesus' generation? It seems as if his lineage was cut off from the earth. That is, unless you hold to some Dan Brown conspiracy theory that Jesus had children, and we know that as heresy. Jesus' children are you and I who are in Christ. That is His generation. Those who are believers, those who are saved, sanctified in Jesus, that is His generation today. So here's where we find Jesus at the court scene. Jesus is standing before his accusers. He's standing before the high priest, the Sanhedrin. He's standing before Pilate. He's standing before Herod. We see him being shifted back and forth and beaten and bruised, beard ripped out, crown of thorns placed upon his head. He stands before his accusers without rebuttal. He stands like a sheep before his shearers, opening not his mouth in defense he humbled himself to that of a servant a servant inserting Philippians chapter 2 that he humbled himself to that of a of a servant the passage is an amazing prophecy about Jesus about the Messiah and I must say this that nothing in the Bible compares to the Messianic prophecies found in Scripture about Jesus. Nothing compares to the coming of our Lord Jesus to this world for the forgiveness of sin. People will spend their lifetime in ministry consuming themselves with what we call eschatology or end-time prophecy and end-time events. They'll put such an emphasis on the rapture and the pre-tribulation rapture and, and the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and all of those things that they'll forget that there is a as a, there is a more robust prophetic um, v- verses in the Bible that speak much less more to Jesus. There's a place and there's a study a place and time for a study of end time events, but the coming of Jesus as Messiah. I believe outshines, outshines it all. Now, it is good to understand and to study eschatology and end-time events. I believe it is helpful for us to have a robust theology and study of the Bible. I believe it is helpful to study those things. But the, the, but the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament are mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Notice how the unit responds... Is this prophecy about himself, Isaiah, or is it about somebody else? And You want to talk about low-hanging fruit, this is the perfect opportunity for Philip. Who better to answer this question than one who had just proclaimed Jesus to a whole village in Samaria, and and he was God's perfect person in that perfect situation. Low-hanging fruit for a pastor might be somebody who says, how can I be saved, preacher, low-hanging fruit. Well, what is this prophecy about? And, and Philip, at this time, is the perfect person to do this. So he opened his mouth and began to proclaim, beginning with Isaiah 53, beginning with these verses, uh, he began to proclaim to him from verse 7 and 8 about who this is, leading all the way up to the good news of Jesus, the good news that Jesus is the suffering servant in Isaiah, that Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus rose again. And that is the good news of Jesus, that he come to set the to free. I mean, you get a visual of this in Samaria where people were coming out of their homes and and demons were being uh, they were being liberated of these unclean spirits, the people were being saved. You get a visualization of how Jesus came to set the captive free. And you'll notice that Luke says that he opened his mouth, there must be a proclamation. He began to proclaim to him the good news of Jesus no doubt he had told the Ethiopian of the command of Jesus to go and make disciples and to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because you'll notice the Ethiopian's response to all this as he believed in Jesus. He said, there's some water, see here is water, and what prevents me to be baptized here? So he believed first. He believed first. He trusted Jesus first. And then he said now let's follow and be baptized here's some water now in your king james bible it includes verse 37 you might have a translation today where verse 37 is omitted and this would be due to some manuscript discrepancies that may not be shown in earlier more earlier reliable manuscripts but verse 37 says in the king james philip says this if If thou believes with all thy heart, thou mayst be baptized. And he answered, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. All that's true. That is true. You believe first with all thy heart and and then follow through with the obedience of believers' baptism. He commanded the chariot to stop. They went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. They come up out of the water. The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went away rejoicing. An amazing thing has just happened here. A miracle of miracles has just happened here. There is a miracle that is undeniable. And all of a sudden, yes, yes, here's a miracle. The Ethiopian eunuch was saved and followed in believer's baptism. And you thought I was going to say that Philip vanished and a thin air. The miracle of miracles here is not the carrying away of Philip as if to sidetrack us from what God has done. The miracle is not a carrying away of Philip, but the carrying away of this eunuch's sin by the blood of Jesus. And So we understand that the wording of the language denotes that there is a supernatural departure. The wording of the language gives us indication that this was indeed a supernatural and miraculous event. The Spirit of God transported Philip to another town to preach. This is not far-fetched since the Lord was using the apostles in this time to show the miraculous hand of God and to testify that what they are preaching is true. Philip's task was finished. God had sent Philip at the right time in the right place to preach to this Ethiopian to be sure That as he sent Philip in the right place in the right time, he would send somebody as well to help disciple this Ethiopian. But to leave no doubt in this man's mind that this was a work of God alone, the Spirit carried away Philip supernaturally. That was the witness that this had been a work of God. Philip found himself in Azotus that he's passed through. He preached as he's going through the towns until he came to Caesarea. And we see that the Spirit had transported Philip up north. He was going to preach to some northerners. Going up north, he found himself preaching along the way to Caesarea. Here's a map, again, of Azotus. You might be able to see that. There's where he went up from Gaza, uh, up towards um, Azotus. And the Lord had transported Philip I can't explain it other than what we see in Scripture, other than a work of the Lord. I mean, here's the thing. He didn't baptize him and then certainly slip out of the water and go along his way. God has supernaturally translated uh, Philip from that place into Astoth. He began preaching there. And we might not think much of this, but what the Lord has called us to, he's called us on mission. He has called us, He has sent us, and He has prepared us. Just like He did with Philip. He has called, sent, and prepared us to preach and to be faithful, to teach and to lead and to guide that Jesus is indeed Messiah. He has called us all to the same mission. We may proclaim it differently. We may proclaim it a little bit different, but He has called us all to this task. Sometimes this task and sometimes this mission will be To people who do not look like you and who do not look like me. Might be like the Ethiopian man. It might be different ethnicity altogether. Different language altogether. And it may be different. But God has called us to make much of Jesus right where you are. And then to go in other places where the Lord might call you to go. This is what makes the kingdom of Christ so beautiful. This is what makes the kingdom of Jesus, so beautiful that we are all misfits. We are all broken. We are all sinners, and God has called us and to Himself as broken as we might be, and as as much of a misfit as we might be. The Lord has called us and Himself, and I'm so glad of that. And He's called us to Himself. And he has called us on mission. So number one, God will prepare you for the work. Whatever the Lord has for you, he will prepare you and lead you on that way. Secondly, he has called us all to be a guide. And that might be in the realm of discipling somebody. Or walking through the word of God with somebody. A small group with somebody. Being part of a small group. Leading somebody to know and to hear the word of the Lord. And that leads to the last point. God calls us through his Word. I'm so grateful that the Lord prepares us for his work and doesn't leave us to sink or swim in our own devices and in our own power. Amen.